0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Motion and Meaning. I'm your host, Val Head, and this season is all about getting animation done. In each episode, I chat with a different designer or developer about how they make animation part of their process. Today's guest is Dan Mall. He spent most of his career designing for the web, working at places like Happy Cog and Big Spaceship, and he also loves Philadelphia more than anyone else I know. So let's get right to the interview with Dan, where he starts out telling us a bit more details about his company, Super Friendly.
1: Uh, my name is Dan Mall. I run a small design collaborative out of Philly called Super Friendly. Um, we do all sorts of stuff from design and development and just helping clients figure out stuff that they are having trouble figuring out on their own.
0: So, I know that you have a background working in some places like Big Spaceship and other agencies like that. Um, so, you've worked with animation a lot in the past when it comes to design things. And I was curious like, where in your design process do you start like, talking about animation, thinking about animation things
1: uh, from the very beginning? So, I think there are some, there are some concepts that depend on motion. Um, design concepts, there are some that motion is just kind of sauce on top. um, But I find very, more and more frequently, it's like integral to the concept of the thing that I'm making to think about at least how something should react to, you know, something as simple as user feedback or, or just interaction. Um, so I try to think about that stuff as, as early on as possible, even if I'm not actually doing anything with it.
0: Right, right. So what kind of things to you are the things that like design decisions that depend on motion? Like what's what's an example of uh, a thing like that?
1: Yeah, so I think the obvious ones are probably ones that I'm sure you've you've talked about before with, with uh, other people, which are things like, hover states and how something should open and close and maybe like things that are hidden that need to be revealed. So I think those are certainly the things that I, can, I think are, are more obvious. But I think there are other things um, that that really could kind of make or break an experience when it comes to motion. So as an example, um, and I know you write this write about this in your book, which plug plug uh, <laughs> by Val's book, uh, but, but something as simple as like, where did something come from and where did it go? Could kind of give you a sense of how I can get back to it again. So I think that's one of the things that's really frustrating in an interface is when you're like, I don't know where that thing went. And so just having a hint of like a a little trace of where it went and where it came from can kind of help you get back to it again.
0: Right, like that hint of just like being able to follow that logical flow visually of like not having to think about it really. It's definitely, definitely a key one, a key thing that motion can help with. And when this, I mean, do you often talk to clients about this stuff? Is this something you talk about in initial pitches, or is it something you kind of leave to talk to them about in the end?
1: I think that depends on the concept. So if the thing that we're doing really depends on it, I'll I'll definitely talk through it in the same way that, you know, some things are very dependent on a specific typography choice. So if that's the case, I'll talk about the typography. Other times when I present a design, you know, the typography sort of supports it, but there's something else that's more crucial. So I'll leave it out or I'll leave it at least until later. So I think it depends it really depends on the concept um, that I'm actually pitching or that I'm talking to to a client about. Uh, And and if it's really integral, then I I try to make sure to to have it be an integral part of that design presentation.
0: Right. That makes sense. Like you have like kind of a global vision of sorts and you're trying to figure out the best way to accomplish that and communicate that. And sometimes it might be type, sometimes it might be color, sometimes motion might have something, a big part of it, Uh, but it's all like in the greater name of design, I guess, to make it sound dramatic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, totally. Because I think there's some things that like, you can't talk about everything. I don't, I just don't think there's enough hours in the day. So like, for example, like I don't need to talk to a client about what to name my SAS variables, right? Like it's an important part of the project, but that doesn't need to be collaborative. That could be a thing that I just do as part of the project. So sometimes I think of motion as, as that, like, it's just a thing that's going to make the design really good, and I'm going to do it. Um, and other times, it's I really need to talk to you about this, because either one, I'm having trouble with it myself, or I want another opinion, or I want to make sure that everybody's on board first. So um, I think it just depends on what the concept is that I'm talking about.
0: Right, right. That totally makes sense. It's like sometimes they're just Just things you do because that's what you've been hired to do, to design a thing. And that's all part of designing a thing. So speaking of a little bit about like the internal stuff, um, one thing you've written about before is the idea of motion comps. Um, Can you explain what those are and how you use them?
1: Yeah, totally. So, a motion comp to me is like a static comp, except it is in motion. So, when I think about bu- making websites or making apps, I think the thing that is coded is the real thing, and everything until that point is previs. So, I, so what I th- I think of my role as when you know I'm primarily working in tools like Photoshop and Sketch and After Effects and things like that. So, I feel like my role is to do previs for the person who's actually building the real thing. And sometimes that previs is here's how it looks in a static state. Um, other times it's like, well, here's how it looks in motion, or here's how different states of these look like, and here's how you get from one state to the other. So. Um, Certain projects, I'll do a motion comp. Sometimes I call it an animatic. So I'll do an animatic or a motion comp for a developer if they're having trouble envisioning something or if I really need to describe something in a way and I can't make enough sound effects or hand motions to kind of communicate that. Sometimes a motion comp or an animatic can help to uh, to kind of fill in the gaps. I'm working on a project now with a developer who, um, we have kind of a complex navigation uh, and the way that the navigation and the search kind of animate in, the, the way that I'm picturing it was very complicated. And we've had maybe hours of conversations about it and I've done, like, sketches, and I, I couldn't quite communicate it well enough. And then when I did the, the motion comp, she was like, oh, okay, now I understand what you're talking about. So sometimes it's just a way to, I guess, to, to explain something in a way that I can't do with words or sound effects or, or, or little hand-wavy things.
0: I like that you include sound effects and hand-wavy things as part of the communication process. <laughs> I find those to be very key. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean sometimes like a quick sound effect is all you need to describe an animation like sometimes you'll see an animation you'd be like well it's it's less like boing and it's more like like whoo- you know, and, and then the person you're talking to is like, oh, yeah, OK, I get it. And then and so sometimes that's all you need. Other times I think you need something a little bit more high fidelity.
0: Yeah, yeah it's true. It's like sound effects and dancing can only get you so far.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which is to say pretty far most of the time.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's like, if you know, if you if you have a previous career in like miming or, uh, you know, beatboxing, you're in good shape for design. <laughs> I know I
1: should I should go do a, an interpretive dance class or something.
0: <laughs> i'm pretty sure they cover it in modern or something so what what kind of tools do you use to make motion comps are there like go-to tools that do it really well or do you just kind of use whatever makes sense at the time
1: there are a lot of tools i would say i i tend to use the ones that are more familiar to me so i don't know i guess i i don't really like this but it's the reality of it which is that sometimes motion i need to do really quickly um and Uh, And so I'll often gravitate to a tool that I'm like, I know I can crank something out really quickly. And for me, that generally is Flash. So I use Flash pretty often, um... I, I used I used it this morning because I was animating something, and even though i don 't output to Swift, you know which is the thing that it was I guess originally designed for, um, I use it a lot to make motion comps of websites and apps and the way that that things move so I generally gravitate toward um, toward flash other times after effects is a little bit better for what I want to do um, i 've toyed around with the more modern tools that people use now, like like framer and like um, like Principle, uh, but I find that they have less power, uh, mostly because I know that I, I know Flash so well. So it's it's hard for me to switch.
0: Right. Like most of those, like Principle and uh, Flinto and all those, they're very much focused on like prototyping, like kind of quickly, t- maybe not even quickly, but just like testing an idea, not necessarily making a real thing. And I feel like they kind of limit their capabilities to specialize in that area, but Flash is kind of like wide open in that sense because it just animate any of the things, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, for better or worse, and, and I know that I have a, I, I, I certainly have a slant toward the tools that are like... Blank canvas, you have to make every single thing yourself. So like in Flash, you open it up, and if you need to make a hover state on something, you have to manually create that hover state. And you have to manually write the code that says, okay, this thing when I roll over it, it is an actionable thing. So so I tend toward tools that do that more than tools that are kind of like have a couple of pre-canned things for you to use.
0: Right. And like there's there's pros and cons to both, right? You have you can make them yourself. That takes time, but you can make them be whatever they want, versus you know, take the preset and then you're kind of, that's the thing you're, I don't want to say stuck with, that sounds a little too negative, but like you are, that's the thing you have, you take it or leave it kind of thing.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, some some projects have constraints that are like, we can only use what comes in the box. And I'm like, all right, great, I'll, you know, for that, I'll use, uh, Flinto, you know, because because I have those effects really handy. Um, and, and and they're right there for me, and I don't have to rebuild them from scratch. Other projects where it's sort of like, well, we, sh- we should do re- something really custom here, because, you know, whatever, it's good for the brand, or it's going to be really particular for a user to use it this way. Those are ones where I, I don't like to be limited by the tool. I don't like to fight the tools itself. I like to just be like, give me a blank slate, and then I'll figure out how to make it.
0: Right, right. And it's interesting that you brought up that idea of like, the kind of wide open, more wide open tools for branding purposes. Do you do do you find you use motion to like kind of get the brand's ideas or you know just essence across often?
1: Absolutely. I, I mean something as simple as custom easing can go a really long way because, you know, material design, as an example, there's great, great motion guidelines built into material design. And to the point where I can see an app and not know is built on material until I see something in motion. And I'm like, oh, that feels like a material app, um, which I think is a great, you know, to their credit, they did a great job with those guidelines. Um, and, and so I think something as simple as that could go a long way in, in, you know, something that animates over two seconds. You're like, well, this doesn't really feel like Google. It feels more like, you know, another company. So I feel like having kind of a stake in the ground for each organization can be like, well, this is kind of how our stuff feels like in motion.
0: Right, right. And it's interesting you bring up material design because I was just reading something you wrote, I guess, a week ago about design systems, your design system research article. And you had like the best quote ever about material design. I was like, Dan just nailed what bothers me about it so much. Um, I mean, it being like specifically for Google um, and that's, you know, We've all latched onto it because they just do have such strong opinions, which I think is really an interesting point. And I liked how you said that, like, material design makes it kind of impossible to make a bad design decision.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, and and what's what's cool about it is that they also leave it open for you to be able to make good design decisions. So I think in I think what's built into material design is great defaults. You know, this idea of the beautiful default. Um, it's, I think they do a great job of that. And then if you want to kind of customize and kind of go off the reservation on your own, you're totally welcome to do that. Um, so that's definitely been kind of top of mind for me. I'm working on a big design system project right now. And we're trying to figure out like how opinionated should this thing be. And so I, I learned a lot from kind of studying that material design stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. If anyone listening has not read that article, your your design system research kind of gathering, it's a really great look at a bunch of design systems oh, and h- how they have those point of views. It was perfect timing for me too, because I'm also working on on a design system project. And I'm like, oh, helpful.
1: <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are, yeah. I feel like it's it's a, a good time in the world for that kind of that kind of work. So when
0: it when it comes to having that point of view and like finding that stance of branding, like what kind of things do you look for to kind of latch on to define that motion? Like, are there specific documents or like conversations you have to kind of get there?
1: I certainly think that I have a particular style when it comes to, to the way that I approach brands and branding and identity work. And I I think the more I design websites, the more I realize that web design is is branding work. And um, it, you know, it's, it, it's an extension of that because colors and motion and interaction, all of those are how a brand should express itself or how an organization should express itself. So I, I have the same approach to picking colors as I do to what's the motion style, which is I latch on to words and I latch on to sort of the stereotypes around that, those words. Mm-hmm. So as an example, if an organization says, you know, we want to be really fresh right, or we want to be really modern, um, that says something about what colors I would use. So maybe I wouldn't use very dark colors, maybe I would use bright colors in order to be modern. And that's certainly stereotypical, you know, like, any, any brand that's, that would say that, you know, you might lean in one direction over the other. And I think that's partly cultural, and it's partly like the stuff that we grew up with. And and, and so I, I think that a word can lead you to a particular color and a word can lead you to a particular typeface and I think in the same way a word can lead you to a particular motion style so if somebody said you know if an organization says they want to be really you know sleek, maybe that means they have very fast motion that like has hard cuts um, and again it's a, it's a total stereotype, but I think it's a good place to start so I'll generally try and use words and, and with cl- when I do it with clients I'll do a lot of word exercises to say you know like I, I've have, I have a lot of friends that have suggested exercises like here's a group of, of you know a hundred words have your clients circle the top 10 that, that you know, encompass their brand. And then that thing inf- influences color, which influences typography and influences motion. And influ- like all of the things that you're going to make for them, all of those are driven by this set of 10 words. And ideally, those 10 words are something that are very unique to that organization that another organization can't have. And so I do a lot of exercises with clients to kind of get at the heart of like, what makes them different than everybody else. And motion is certainly a part of that.
0: Right, right. And like, even if you, you know, if you're doing like 10 words or however many words, all those words may have specific stereotypes. Like you said, the sleek being like fast and short cut off kind of thing but hopefully every client or every company has a different 10 words and that combination is what makes them unique you know it's not just like everyone's bright and <laughs> or light and sleek and all these things it's interesting how much this you know how much can be tied back to just that language um you know i've talked to people about pulling motion ideas from voice and tone which is kind of the same idea just you know less exercise based and it, it it's just really interesting how much you can draw from like the way a brand talks about themselves, the words they want to associate with themselves. And you can kind of go off in all directions with it.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for, I, a lot of people ask me about like, how how do I start coming up with the motion of, of, a, of an organization or for an organization? And I think it's the same way that you do with colors. So like you ha- there are abstract ways to get a color palette, right you can look at a photo and say oh this photo kind of feels like that organization so i'm going to take this color palette i think the same way like you could listen to a song and be like oh this song kind of feels like that organization and then start cutting your, mu- your start cutting your motion to that to the beat of that song you know so like i've done that before as just an exercise to kind of figure out all right well like this is like a very slow rhythm and so maybe all the motion should kind of follow this and and you know again there's starting points that you don't have to end there but at least it's a place to start
0: right right like you can start with that literal connection of- of, like, I am m- matching the motion to the beat of this song. But, like, over iterations, it's never, you know, what you end up with will never be that literal. It's going to go through so many changes over the course of the design and everything, but it'll still have that basis. Since you were just talking about Flash, that totally reminds me of a talk I saw Brendan Dawes do way back in the Flash days, where he talked about he had a rule of, like, never animating a thing unless you were animating it to music. Like, he would, I guess, like, yes,
1: I remember that. But, like, a
0: hidden audio file in his timeline that he would time all his animation to, even if it was never in the end piece. That's actually a pretty good trick.
1: Yeah. So, so you actually, so that actually was my source for how I, <laughs> for how I like learned to do that. So, Great. Brendan is awesome. Uh, and, and I actually forgot that that's where I, that's where I heard it. But yeah, I remember seeing that talk, and I was like, that's such a genius tip because you know, it's it's the whole idea of like hide your sources. You know, like just because you use something doesn't mean that it has to end up in the in the final the final take.
0: But it's really true. Like your source can be whatever it is, and even if someone was pulling from the exact same song or the exact same, you know, photo. What that designer is going to end up with is going to be totally different than what you end up with. So it's, it's definitely good, uh, good advice. And, and I don't know, that's kind of like the fun mystery of design, right? Like one team that takes the exact same starting point, the exact same criteria or whatever, they'll end up with a totally different solution. And neither are really going to be right or wrong. Like there's never like one correct solution for design.
1: Totally. I mean, what, what, one of the things that I try to do a lot in my design work is have multiple inputs of inspiration. So like, like if, if you're trying to make something that's modern and somebody else is trying to make something that's modern, well, there's a good chance that you might come up with the same thing. But if I'm trying to come up with something that's like retro modern, somebody else is trying to come up with something that's like futuristic modern, well, like now having two inputs instead of one means something completely different. So I think all of these factors kind of weigh in, like instead of doing one word about the brand, do 10 words about the brand and sort of instead of like letting. Those ten word, like those those one word influence your motion. Make ten words influence your motion, and by ha- by like kind of throwing more inputs at it, you have all this kind of range of variety and e- less likely that your thing is going to end up like somebody else's.
0: Right, right. And I think that the funniest thing, of, or maybe not funny, funny, but interesting thing about working that way is like you know what all your sources were, but I don't think anyone else could ever trace it back correctly.
1: Yeah, there's this uh, there's this great podcast called um, Song Exploder oh, uh, that yeah. Brad Frost turned me to Yeah, he turned me and on There's no this one scene. episode so i'm i'm not going to spoil too much but there's one episode with one artist who talks about the inspiration for his song and the way that he does it is he listens to other songs and then he plays the melody of that song himself records it. Um, he plays it kind of in his style, but then he uses an anagram generator to save it as a different title on his computer, so that he can't go back and note like you know. So like, let's say he was using the song "Stand By Me," he wouldn't call the file "Stand By Me." He would call the file whatever an anagram of "Stand By Me" would be, so that he actually can't go back and trace his own sources. I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh
0: wow, it's like <laughs> totally throwing yourself for a loop. Like, so I guess he, yeah, exactly. He goes back and listens to those files and has no idea. Like maybe if he remembered playing it, that's the only way he would know where it really came from.
1: Yep, exactly. But he but he does that because like if he revisits a tune months later, he doesn't want to go back and remember the song that he recorded on, like that he re- that well, he was inspired by. He just wants to listen to the track that he played, and then hopefully he'll be inspired by himself.
0: That's a really right. interesting approach. I'm like, I kind of want to try that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like,
0: I won't even know where it came from. <laughs> well, we're just about at, at the end of time, not the end of time, at the end of our time, not to be too... <laughs> oh, that would be
1: really <laughs> terrifying.
0: Like, by the way, this podcast <laughs> ends the world. But one last thing I wanted to end with is what advice would you offer someone who thinks motion is super important and wants to start using it more in their work, but is having trouble convincing the rest of their team to buy into that idea?
1: I would say that you've got to do it first, I don't I don't think that you should wait for permission to to do something. So if you go to your team and you say, "Hey, I'd like to try this thing out." And everybody's like, "Yeah, I don't know." do it anyway. Because I think it's much easier to convince someone when you have something in front of them that they can respond to, rather than the idea of the thing they respond to. So I think that you've got to bite the bullet and do it anyway, and give it a shot, and then sell the heck out of that thing. You know, like go and put it in front of somebody and say, okay, here are all the advantages to doing it this way. Here's why it's really good. Here's why it's awesome. Here's why it's better than the way that we we're talking about doing it before. And you should have those reasons. Otherwise, why are you doing it in the first place? So assuming that you have all those reasons, do the thing, like spend the extra night, spend the weekend to do it you know stay up late or wh- whatever you need to in order to make it happen because i think that's much more convincing than saying like hey guys why don't we animate it this way and then everybody's like no nah, i don't nah, i don't think we should do that and then your idea is dead so I, i've had a lot greater success just sort of like buckling down spending the extra couple of hours and doing it and then putting that in front of everybody in front of the team and saying like i have this re- great idea i've worked it all out all the questions are answered here's why it's going to be better what do you all think?
0: Right, right. I love it. It's like the uh, ask for forgiveness, not permission thing. It's a, absolutely a very effective approach. So thanks so much for chatting with me today, Dan. Um, where can people find more about you on the internet and keep track of all the fun stuff you're up to?
1: Uh, I am on Twitter as Daniel Mall. That's my full name. Uh, D-A-N-I-E-L-M-A-L-L. Uh, my website is also the same com. Um, and if anybody wants to email me, just fill out the contact form there and it will come directly into my inbox.
0: Nice, nice. So we'll make sure to put those links uh, in the show notes as well. But thanks so much. This was a great chat.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: To find out more about Dan, follow him on Twitter, where he's Daniel Mall, or check out his site at danielmall.com. His company, Super Friendly, is also on Twitter as Super Friendly Co., and on the web at superfriend.ly. I'll list those all in the show notes too, of course. As Dan so nicely mentioned, I just published a book called Designing Interface Animation. It digs deeper into a lot of the same topics Dan and I discussed here. You can find the book at designinginterfaceanimation.com. You've been listening to Season 2, Episode 2 of Motion and Meaning with me, Val Head. You can find out more about the show at motionandmeaning.io as well as listen to all of last season with me and Kenneth Bowles, either there on the site or on iTunes. I'd love to hear your feedback on the show. You can find the show on Twitter as Motion Meaning. And if you've enjoyed the show, give us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find out about it. See you again soon.